Would you turn with me uh, in your Bible uh, to James chapter 5, please? James chapter 5. And we're going to read from verse 1 uh, down to verse 12. Uh, we're looking at verse 7 to 12, but for the sake of context, we're going to read from verse 1, please, Ian, down to verse 12. James 5, verse 1, and this is what God says. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. And their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. And we'll end our reading, as I said, at verse number 12. The uh, third installment of J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings trilogy is called The Return of the King. I wanted to bring this, but I couldn't find it. It got lost in the move somewhere. But I, I have this one volume of the three books that, that I started to read, I don't know, maybe 20 years ago. But I didn't get very far. Uh, I, I soon gave up. I, I didn't have the endurance. Uh, the thickness of the book got to me. It's a really thick book. Uh, I lacked the, the ability to even get to the return of the king, uh, the third book. I didn't even get out past the first book, in fact. I didn't even get out of the Shire, which is where chapter one begins, if you've read it or watched the films. I didn't even get out of the Shire. Be patient, therefore, brothers, writes James in verse 7. Therefore uh, is is like one of those linking words uh, in the Bible. Uh, If you read it, you're supposed to think, well, what's come before? It means uh, in light of of what's been said just now. In light of of what? Well, we, we read it, didn't we? In light of the injustices that you are facing because... They are treating you like dirt in the fields because they're, uh, they're, they're stealing your money and holding it back from you because they're, they're leaving people to die, in fact, at the side of the field. In the mud and in the dirt, uh, in the humdrum of the ordinary difficulties of life, right? Because you're stuck in the shire, suffering, here are some important instructions. Here are some instructions to live by. 
Here is something you really need to live as Christians in this. Is it, is it, is it vengeance? Is it, uh, you know, you have a righteous cause and God is on your side and, and rise up, gather the farm workers together and, and fight back? No, it's not that. Is it, is it resignation? Uh, this, is, this is it. Uh, you're, you're condemned to your fate to crawl up in a corner and, and hope for an early grave? No, it's not that either. For Christians facing a tough life, for Christians facing persecution because they are Christians, as is the case here, if you want to live in a way that is pleasing to God, and let's face it, you should, James' instruction is to firstly wait like a farmer. Wait like a farmer. James says, look at the way you function as farmers, because of course they all basically are farmers. Remember what you do. You, you, you plant the seed, right? Uh, you, you look for the fruit. You, you expect the fruit. You, you wait for the precious fruit from the earth. No use worrying when you've planted the seed. No use taking any further action. No, it's, it's out of your hands, right? No, no, the seed's in the ground. The hidden purposes of the sovereign Lord are happening out of sight, so the farmer waits patiently. He's a model of patience as you face trouble. James says, just wait. I come from Ballymena, as you know. Uh, it's the biggest town in the countryside, as I often say. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's common to see a tractor on the main street, uh, and I know plenty of farmers. And many of them are more relaxed, uh, more laid back than people who live in built-up areas like this, or city people, that's for sure. Laid back enough uh, to sit among your cows watching the gulf with a cup of tea. I don't know if you saw that this week. It was on Sky News. Uh, is, is that because in the country uh, you, you just have to wait? Is that the reason? You, you sort of have to wait on the crops and, uh, and the animals to, to grow. You can't really do that much about it. There's less instant living in the countryside. Maybe. Maybe it is. I guess it could also be a sort of I couldn't care less sort of passivity. James is not talking or asking for passivity. He's not, in other words, he's not asking his people to sort of close their eyes and, and convince and, and train yourself that it doesn't hurt. Train yourself to some sort of escapism, some sort of mental departure from reality just to get you through. No. No, this is very much eyes open. This is very much steeped in reality. They are to wait patiently, but, but not endlessly, or not pointlessly, but, but, but purposefully. They, they are to, to wait because they're waiting for something, aren't they? And what is that something? What are they waiting for? Verse 7, they are to be patient until the coming of the Lord. They're to wait for that. The farmers wait for something, don't they? they? They wait for the precious fruit. They wait for the early and late rains, uh, we read in verse 7. Uh, in Deuteronomy 11, verse 14, it says this, He will give the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the later rain, that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil. It's, it's the goodness of God, isn't it, that, that gives the rain like that. That, that, that we need because, because, of course, no rain, no food. Uh, and we, we, we recognize that once the seed is sown, it, it, it requires God's goodness for the sunshine and for the rain to make it come to be, to make it come to fruit. Clearly, uh, the Lord is at work in that. 
And the Lord is also coming back. It's what James writes. It's not just a mindset or a mantra to live by. No, you are to, to importantly, establish your hearts, verse 8, in this patience. Notice that. To establish your hearts. Your heart is not just the, the, the organ that pumps blood around your body, as I frequently remind you. It's the command center of who you are. Patience and waiting must be fully embraced by who you are. Maybe you want God to do something now. Maybe it's the, I don't know, healing of a relationship. Maybe it's, it's the salvation of a, of a loved one or a child. Maybe it's a, it's a letter to say when your procedure is going to be. Maybe, maybe it's the end of these restrictions. And you're saying, how long? And, you, and you're losing patience. And you're biting your nails or you're on edge or you're distracted from all sorts of other things because of this thing that's going on in your head, right? It's hard to, to speak of a similar level of persecution in our country than what James's congregation are facing. But we can certainly compare this waiting to other aspects of sin in the world that affect Christians, like the things we're just discussing. Uh, broken relationships, pandemics and sickness. And of course, the, there, there's, there's a few options, a few options, isn't there? You, you can resign yourself to your fate and, and live in misery. You can strike out and blame others or, or the doctors or the care workers or blame God. Your heart is the deep part of you that could be tempted to resignation or to striking out. James says... Establish your heart in the coming of the Lord. James says, let this truth be deep in you. The king is coming. Take courage. Uh, strengthen your heart, says the Christian Standard Bible. The Lord is coming. Remember back to chapter 1. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, patience. It's a, it's a test of faith. It, it's a faith grower. It stretches you like, like building muscle uh, if you're in the gym, right? It, it produces patience. And you are to be patient as it produces patience. Wait like a farmer. Secondly, speak like a Christian. James says, and James deals with another temptation in verse 9. It's grumbling. He says, do not grumble. Complaining, that's a, a major temptation when you're suffering, isn't it? Uh, but, but it's not grumbling against God that he's speaking of. It, it's, it's grumbling against one another. I remember whenever my grandmother used to play videos on a Sunday afternoon, they were only one type, and it was Willie McRae, right? And he used to sing this song called Grumbler. And it was grumble on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, grumble on a Thursday too, and that's as far as I'm going to go, but he went through the rest of the week. Grumbling. Don't do it, James says. There are 59 one another's in the New Testament. I have them on my wall in the office. And this is number 44. And this time it's a do not one another. Most of them are do's. Do not grumble against one another. Don't grumble because you'll be judged, James writes. You see it there? We're under no condemnation as Christians. You know, our sins are forgiven. They're paid for. That's dealt with. But we're still accountable 
to the chief judge for how we live our lives. That's, that's Jesus, capital J, and judge, because it's, it's Jesus, it's the Lord. And on one day, on that day, you want him to say, well done, good, faithful servant, rather than, why have you stirred up strife among the brothers? Proverbs 6, verse 19, it says that. You want him to say the first one. You want to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You don't want him to say, why have you, um, why have you stirred up strife among the brothers? Don't grumble because you'll be judged. But don't grumble also because you're brothers. Uh, we're family. Uh, in church, we need to remember that important truth. You're seated this morning with family. Four times in these verses, James refers to brothers. And in case that jars with you, that's the word for brothers and sisters combined. It's both. James calls them brothers and sisters because he identifies with them. He, he is their brother and they are his brother or sister in Christ. And the church are brothers and sisters of one another. We are family. We are committed to each other. We, we eat together around the table. Uh, we stick with each other through thick or thin. We don't turn on each other or grumble or bicker like disobedient children would. For, for the Lord, it says, is listening in. The judge is right at the door. In fact, he dwells among us. He, he dwells in the presence of his people. So we watch our words. We don't vent about each other. We, we don't complain about each other. We, we give grace that's important. We, we try to, by God's help, to see the good in others rather than the bad. And the second way that we watch our words and speak like a Christian comes in verse 12, right at the end of that section. James says, verse 12, Now above all, this doesn't mean it's the most important part. Uh, it appears like that. It, it doesn't. It's a kind of writing style thing to show that you're coming to the end of a letter. It's like saying, now, to wrap things up here, now, to wrap things up here, do not swear. It goes on like that. It's a bit like when the preacher says, and finally, and certain people who are sleeping waking up at that point. Now, we're not there yet, okay? Okay. <laughs> James is telling his, his brothers not to swear. Now, he's not talking about expletives, okay? Because, he, of course, you shouldn't use language not fit for the children of the king. Rather, he's speaking about the rejection of oaths. Do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. Now, this is a little tricky because you might be, I don't know, you could be, you might be up in the crown court in the morning as a witness uh, and they might bring out uh, the Bible and they might put it in front of you and they say, can you say the following? I swear by almighty God uh, that the evidence I shall give shall be the truth, uh, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And such is the world that we live in, uh, that you can actually leave God out of it and just solemnly and sincerely and truthfully declare and affirm that stuff about the truth. If you are atheist or, you know, non-religious, you're allowed to do that nowadays. But, and because of, of this verse, okay, verse 12, uh, there are, there's a community called the Mennonite community, it's quite large in the States, that would refuse any oath like this at all, straight off, none, not even in court. But I want to say that uh, James is not talking about courts of law, and he's, and he's not talking about being under oath like that. Uh, neither is James's half-brother, who is, of course, Jesus, in Matthew 5, verse 33, when he says, Again, you have heard that it was said of those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. 
But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Jesus is speaking about oaths in the context of false speech, telling lies. It's not about being a witness in court, okay? Rather, this is about needing to have an oath added on, implying that your normal speech just can't be trusted. It's like stopping someone speaking and saying, just hang on a minute. Can you write that down and sign it, just so I know you're telling me the truth? You see, it's... It's just to be sure you're telling the truth, which shouldn't be necessary for, for a Christian because you're speaking like a Christian. We could put it like this. Don't be deceptive in your words. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Because, of course, in the context of suffering, you might be tempted to protect your skin. Think about Abraham last Sunday night. You know, he, he sort of imagines that he's in trouble uh, twice at least. And he says that Sarah is his sister, even though... Well, she's his half-sister, but that's hardly the point. It's a lie. It's deception. He thinks he's in trouble, so he tells lies, and his yes isn't yes, and his no isn't no. It's like when I was at school, and someone boasted, my dad used to play for Man United, I swear. Right? And as if the swear bit added on a stamp of approval to what you clearly knew wasn't true, you see? Don't qualify with an oath. Just tell the truth. Is what James is saying. Don't be tempted to, to lie, to soften the harsh treatment that's coming your way. No, tell the truth. That's how you live as a Christian. That's how you live a life pleasing unto holy God. Thirdly and finally, uh, persevere like Job. Endure like Job. Plenty of injustice for many Old Testament prophets in their lives. Plenty of them suffered uh, for telling the truth. Look at verse 10. They spoke in the name of the Lord. Who spoke in the name of the Lord. That shows you that it was their, it was their faithfulness to God that, that actually caused them all the trouble. They spoke in the name of the Lord and that was, that was trouble. Hebrews 11 is a great chapter about the faithful who've gone before. Let me read some of it to you. Verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms and forced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of, of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, uh, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. And we say, oh, it'd be great to be in that, in that section, wouldn't it? Uh, what great victory to have it. But for every victorious saint... There were many who, next verse, were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Look at verse 11 in James. We consider those blessed who remained steadfast. In other words, those saints that are, that are dead and buried, 
in James's day, in our day, right? We, uh, James's congregation look back and they say they're heroes of the faith. They're, they're blessed. They're blessed because they didn't give up. They didn't renounce the faith, even though all this was ahead of them. Even though the threat was there, they, they kept going. They, they persevered to the end, no matter what God and his sovereign plan had for them. We ate like a farmer, but also endure like Job. James focuses on one particular Old Testament example of a prophet who, who suffered and endured, and that was, that was Job. Uh, you've, you, you, need to have the, you need to have the patience of Job, people say. And I guess they said it back in, in James's day as well. Because look at verse 11. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job. It was a saying then too, right? That comes from right here in James 5. Job, of course, was a man who suffered terribly. He, he had a nice life. He had plenty of animals and wealth. Uh, he had a big family. And then one day... God boasted to Satan about his servant. And um, Job loses most of it. And yet, and yet he, he remains faithful to God. But there's a sort of legitimate enough question in here, in verse 11, if you see it. And it's this. Did Job remain steadfast? I mean, didn't, didn't, he, didn't he complain more, more, than, more than a little bit? Do you remember? Yeah, well, yeah, he did. <laughs> he, he certainly did bring his laments to God, and, and, and that's okay. <laughs> it's okay to bring our trouble to God. It, it's okay to ask why. Uh, we saw that, this at the midweek prayer meeting uh, in Psalm 77. Chris was leading us through that. It's okay to, to ask why and to, and to even lament before God, but we do so out of a heart that believes out of a heart that is established, okay, same, same word, on the promises of God, on the promise of forgiveness to those in Christ, who, on the sure and certain hope of, of eternal life, on the sure and certain hope of the return of the coming king. What Job didn't do was what his wife wanted, and that was to curse God and die. And even though he, he was corrected and humbled by the end, he's actually commended at both ends of the book with his name on it. Look at verse 11. You have seen the purpose of the Lord. Things are a little less clear in the Old Testament. Uh, you know that in terms of what was going to happen at the end, and they, they, they didn't have as clear a picture. But uh, you know, even though Job could write, I know that my Redeemer lives, and, and at the last he will stand upon the earth, and after my flesh has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. He, he wrote that. He said that. And yet, they're commended in, in Hebrews 11 for their faith, even though they hadn't received yet what was promised. They, they hadn't got the clarity. Because, of course, James's congregation, they, they're, they're New Testament after Jesus, remember? And he's come, and they know his name, and they know that he's the one that the Old Testament's all about, and they know that he's the Redeemer, and they know that he's been once, and he's coming back again. They know that he's come to save his people from their sins if they come in repentance and faith. And, 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 and there's been witnesses who, who've seen him after he rose from the dead. In fact, James was a witness. We're told that in, in 1 Corinthians. And the people have seen the purpose of the Lord, James writes. They have seen the purpose of the Lord. You see that word purpose? 
That's an important word in the New Testament. It's translated various ways. It's in the original. I don't often talk about the original, but it's, it's the word telos, T-E-L-O-S. It means goal, like, like, like end game. There is, a, there is an end game to the world. There, there's a point to all of this. There is a certain outcome to the world that you live in. There's a day coming. Don't, don't, don't close your eyes. Look. Look, look ahead. Don't, don't grumble among the brothers. Look ahead. Don't deceive with your words. No, no. Look ahead. Your compass should be set due north on the return of the king. Wait. Because he's coming. The return of the king is inevitable. Jesus is coming. And, and, he's, and he's the just judge. He's, he's the one who will make all things right. He's the one who will do right and will be seen to do right. He's the one who will deal with all of the oppressors and the, all the enemies of God. And, and he will reward his people according to their faithful service. He will. There's a goal. There's a telos. There's a, an end game. And you've seen it. You've seen it in the scriptures this morning. We can endure We've, um, as I said, faced little of the persecution uh, in the last few decades that, that James's congregation have. But the tide can turn, and it, it may have turned. People um, complain about Christians. You know, they've all their restrictive rules to live by, their, their do's and their don'ts. They're so terribly narrow, aren't they? And, and they call that sort of puritanical. That's the sort of... That's kind of word that, that's sort of like a dig at the Puritans who are, who are guys that were seen as being strict and, and immovable and holier than thou in the, in the 16th and 17th centuries, like Jonathan Edwards and people like that, and, and, and Thomas Watson and all these guys, right? Not much crack spending a night out with a Puritan, in other words. But if you forget about COVID, for that's not what I'm getting at here, right? But I want to say that the world that you live in has more rules and is more puritanical in enforcing them than any Christian community has ever been. You must hold to this. You must support that cause. You must allow someone to identify as whatever they wish to, no matter if every cell in their body says otherwise. And, whatever, and what happens if you don't? You get shut down. You get written off with no possibility of forgiveness. In Christianity, which is infinitely better, there is always the possibility of forgiveness and redemption, but not in our world. In your harsh secular world with its ten secular commandments, you're gone. You're just gone. And Christians may have been seen as weird before, but consider if they're seen as dangerous rule breakers. Yeah? If they shut us down for not doing this and not allowing that, if they shut us down for not marrying who they say we should marry, maybe closer than we think. I'm not scaremongering. I'm just trying to read what's going on. We should not be deceitful and lie if we're asked about the teaching of the Bible on our convictions on things, even if it contravenes the commandments of, of our secular world, right? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Show conviction. Jesus says it, uh, and, and he's my brother, says James. 
The church says this, and, and these are my brothers and sisters. And we tell the truth if we're asked what we believe. Be open about what you believe on marriage and transgenderism and sexuality and whatever comes next that goes against the green. Persevere, whatever the Lord has for you. It's almost a year now since we buried our dear sister Anne McElveen. And she was to me like a modern day Job. Faithful, patient, despite all that came across her path. Much of it so very difficult. Persevere. And as we face a, an uncertain six months, uh, the temptation is there to grumble and complain, to, to shout off about the government, to be. Uh, but we, but we must be patient. We must. God will see us through. He's compassionate and merciful. You see that at the end of verse eleven. He's compassionate and merciful. That's that's what he's like. The Lord. His, his heart is for us. His heart is for you. He, he loves you. He, he loves us. He, he's the best for us. He's the best set out for us, before us. Whatever comes. We can behave like the schoolboy, bullied in the playground, who looks up and sees his big brother coming across the playground to sort the thing out once and for all who looks for his big brother with such confidence because he knows that they're in trouble now and we are with him. Yes, we're brothers and sisters, but he's our big brother. You know that? He's the one that we're with, Jesus. God has accepted him and, and so with him he, he accepts us. James's congregation need to go beyond the shire. And to get their eyes on where they're going and what's going to happen. They need to get their eyes on the coming of the Lord, the return of the King, and so do we. The farmers get the precious fruit, the outcome, the goal. Job experiences restoration and learns of the goodness of God. And the patient Christian will likewise meet the King. They will meet the one who loves them. The one whose heart is for them. The one who gives himself for them. That's, that's the long run. Live in the light of the goal. Live in the light of the long run. The end game. Live knowing that no matter what they throw at you, your end is secure. Living knowing that no matter what happens, the future is certain. Let's bow our heads together in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the certainty of the return of the King. And there are days when we find it difficult, many of them, to look there. And perhaps we grumble and complain. And perhaps we question why this has happened. Give us grace to know that you're at work and that the end is certain, glorious, and perfect, even though it's not here yet. And we pray this in our Savior's name. Amen.